Hey everyone, and welcome to the Planet Bio Startup Office Hours and the podcast where we talk about all things at the intersection of biology and digital. Today, we have special guest Dan Ryder joining us, as well as our usual host, myself, Jeff, uh, and then Hamdi and Alexa. Welcome, Dan. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Jeff. Thank you for inviting me. Wonderful. Thanks. Uh, my usual quick preamble. Uh, so the Planet Bio podcast is not associated with any organization or institute. Any views expressed are those of who expressed them uh, and do not represent the views of, of any uh, organizations or anything like that. This is also a recorded session, so keep that in mind. Uh, you can ask questions in the chat bar if you're on your desktop that's just over to the right. All right, so as we get started, uh, Dan, would you be able to provide us with an intro? Sure, uh, happy to. Uh, so my name, uh, as you know, Dan Ryder. Um, I am the founder and CEO of Bridge Informatics. It's a little bit about the company. Bridge Informatics is a full service consulting firm. We focus on helping biotech companies manage and analyze genomic data. More specifically, we help bench biologists save time by translating their complex, very large data sets into actionable knowledge. Um, so for the listeners out there that are in the space, uh, you know, Jeff, you've told me that there's a lot of listeners, uh, startup founders. Um, we are, for now, focused primarily on service. That's so cool. And what was your career path to that point? Man, that's a deep question. Um, <laughs> we, we've got some time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, um, it definitely was not a straight path. Um, so the, the interesting ones never are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm interesting, but, uh, so, so, you know, this Jeff, uh, I grew up in the Midwest, much like you, so I was, I was on a farm and it was tough. It was, uh, it taught me a lot about how to appreciate working behind a desk, which was funny because my dad was trying to get away from it. Um, he loved being on the farm. I enjoyed it, but you know, I, I appreciated that I didn't want to move irrigation pipe for the rest of my life. So uh, yeah, when I got that opportunity to focus on my studies in college, I did. And um, I was a big nerd, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I think, again, the path for me was to focus on anything technical. And it really eventually led me to the sciences. And at the time when I started moving into bioinformatics, it was not popular. It was considered by my PhD mentors kind of, kind of the devil. And fortunately, I, I didn't listen to them. Uh, I did it anyway. They used to say to me, Dan, why would you want to, to pursue bioinformatics? Why would you want to pursue systems biology? You know, there's no hypothesis-driven research there. And I would counter with, what do you mean? You, you don't have to have one hypothesis. You don't have to study one protein for the rest of your life. You can easily uh, study multiple proteins and generate multiple hypotheses with all this data. 
And, and so that was really what sparked my journey, you know, as, as people say these days, into uh, bioinformatics and computational biology. That's so cool. That's, that's a really interesting path. And, and what were you doing before Bridge Informatics? Well, before that, uh, I was uh, doing services in the bioinformatics space, uh, two separate companies. And we did a little bit of product uh, and a little bit of service. So it was a nice rounded approach. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. It, it taught me a lot. I was in the corporate world for a long time. Uh, I learned what I don't like <laughs> and a couple of things that I do like. <laughs> yeah. That, that's awesome. And, you know, I'm really curious, what inspired you to take the leap to found a company and to start Bridge Informatics? Uh, inspiration. Hmm. That's a good one. Um, probably going back to my days on the farm. I mean, it's never going to be one thing. I, you know this. Um, but, but yeah, you know, yeah. be, not being afraid to blaze a trail, you know, collectively and having a support community around me to, to encourage me or, or say, hey, that's a dumb idea. Um, and, and, of course, you know, to, to make the decision who to listen to. Um, so I guess I don't really have an answer for you, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's, that's cool. Yeah. What did you really, uh, like see, uh, unmet need that you wanted to address or how did you get the idea to, to even do this? Cause it's a really, really cool thing. Well, doing. thanks. Yeah. It, in terms of unmet need, I see that and, and, uh, my team sees that, um, it, it's not always obvious. Yeah. I, I, so you, you bring up a good point. All right. I'll give you an example. Right. Um, so typically when our, our team at Bridge Informatics helps people out, uh, the, the need was, was clear to me a long time before I started Bridge because there was a massive <laughs> just gap that we could bridge through communication. Uh, obviously, it helps if you have a background in, in biological right. sciences and computational biology, but, but the two parties weren't communicating effectively. And so... There was just time and time again. It started in grad school and my postdoc, and of course I saw it in the corporate world at Thomson Reuters, which is now Clarivate Analytics. There was not an easy way to communicate between these disparate uh, parties. And so for, from my perspective, I thought, okay, if I start Bridge Informatics, um, the focus will be on communication, project management, and setting expectations. And so that means throwing the black box out the window because a lot of firms at that time were saying, all right, I'm going to give you a report, but we're not going to tell you how we came up with these results. So we do the opposite. That's, that's great. And that's such a, a laundry. I, I, I love this. <laughs> you, you moved from these other companies into your own. What was the most challenging part of starting your own company? Uh, lack of sleep. <laughs> sleepless nights it's yeah. yeah um it's yeah it's nerves i mean you yeah. i think the most challenging part is figuring out that well determining rather that the direction you're in is the right direction and you know if you can focus on that and and stay certain that's great uh you're always going to have to change directions at some point yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a big jump right i mean going going into that and uh I don't know if, if you felt this, but uh, it's it's kind of all on you at that point, right? <laughs> if you're getting going, um, which yep. can, yeah. can be a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fantastic. So uh, I will say to, to the folks who are listening, uh, welcome. 
if and thanks for joining us if you like to ask a question you can go ahead and type it into the chat window uh to the side there while folks are thinking of questions hamdi alexa anything you like to ask dan i'll jump in with one um so you spoke a bit about uh how you identified the need you experienced the need you saw it and you had a solution for it so you kind of jumped in um in my experience, and I think it's true that a lot of founders, when they have an idea and they're starting a company, it's their baby. Uh, and it can be hard to bring people on who can support you in that endeavor and hire a team. Can you talk a bit about um, uh, the team that you've assembled around you that's made you successful and what you look for in early teammates and people that you are willing to bring in to help support your business grow? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so it's it's a lot like uh, kind of feels like running a sports team because you know my role is keeping everybody motivated and focused on the, the main goal which is to uh, you know in that analogy to get to get extra points and so what I told my team was look it's important that we come in and uh, focus heavily on communication between these two disparate parties and in those disparate parties, we have to understand and empathize with them to hopefully uh, bridge the gap to help them communicate effectively in understanding a very complex topic and, and usually a, a complex topic that costs anywhere from twenty to $50,000. That's the cost of running an experiment. They get the results and they say, huh, yeah, I, I need your help to analyze this data. And behind the scenes, what most people don't know, well, Jeff knows this and a couple other people on the call probably do. Um, after you've spent the, this, let's say, $20,000 to get those, let's say it's an RNA-seq data set, it's frustrating as a biologist, and I experienced this myself, to, to hand it over to someone in the field of bioinformatics and say, tell me what I'm missing. You know, it, it's like giving away your baby. And so psychologically, we have to, to understand and empathize with that customer's background, where they're coming from, so that we can be very delicate in how we help them do it, in addition to explaining how we did it. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like folks who were good communicators, because that's your product, is really key and critical, and those that can empathize. That's terrific. Definitely. Amdi, um, any, anything you want to jump in with? Well, actually, there was uh, two, two questions of varying length, it depends. So like the first one is like, you know, we often hear challenges uh, for scientists and business users dealing with different types of omics data. So how do you tackle these sorts of challenges and how do you go about, um, you know, capturing insights from these to kind of help people uh, discover what they might not yet understand? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, can you give me an example, uh, an actual use case? Well, I think some challenges that have been occurring for some people of like, you know, taking a map of, you know, a, a genomic sequence looking at then an RNA sequence looking at alternative splicing and figuring out, hey, what sort of pathways are occurring? And obviously you might use, there's like the operational challenges where you have different service providers getting you data packages back. And then you have the more scientific challenges of kind of like, hey, how do I use all these newer tools coming to hand to really understand what's going on? Because originally, 10, 15 years ago, it was navigating how to handle these massive data sets. 
And now we have better processing tools. Uh, a lot more scientists are better trained on how to use these larger data sets. But now it's actually making useful insights rather than saying, hey, I have a big statistical set and I have this small but significant correlation. That's, uh, Hamdi, that's a really good example. So, so uh, what I hear you saying is that there's a, a, a different, uh, I'd say multiple different omic data sets, you know, potentially genomic and transcriptomic, um, but also complicated by the fact that you're working with maybe a third party that generated the data and, of course, the customer. Um, and so in that use case, it, it, it becomes very challenging. Um, one of the things, as uh, pointed out earlier, that we provide is, is expert communication with, of course, the background in, in bioinformatics and computational biology. Uh, what we do is we merge those two together, whereas uh, previously, let's say this was done internally, that training may not have happened. We're, we do that training and we emphasize that, uh, but you know, it's, it's not always going to be there internally for most companies. Uh, so that's that's how we help bridge that gap in that specific use case. And and I, I can get into more detail, Hamdi, if you'd like, about how we work with that third-party uh, vendor, but I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Well, uh, actually, I think it would be pretty good to kind of dive into uh, how you help navigate uh, bridging the gap, as you say. Um, there's many different sorts there. So I guess uh, what sort of uh, outline of pillars you'd want to like have people think about and where your own work and many others kind of need to help fill that gap. Sure. Um, well, uh, in terms of others who, who need to, to help fill that gap, let's say internally uh, at a, one of our customers' uh, internal team, um, one of the things that I would encourage them to do is, is to focus heavily, uh, and this is not talked about much, it should be, focus heavily on how they can encourage their bench biologists to get together with the bioinformaticians. Because when we come in as a service team, we're, we're kind of the quarterback, right? We're going we're gonna to have one key data scientist that helps the bioinformaticians do what they need to do, but also the biologists. And we kind of bridge the gap as best we can. Uh, but we also encourage that team to get together socially. And so we can set up governance policies for the, the bench biologist to communicate more effectively, socially even, with those bioinformaticians. This is great. Thanks, Dan. I, I really like that aspect of bridging the gap. Um, and as you said, right, even embracing the human aspect of it, right? You know, going yeah. and doing fun things together with the teams. To, to build on that, uh, and then we have a question from the, the message window as well. Um, to build on that, what types of tactics do you use for communication? Um, or is it all kind of intuitive and natural? You know, specifically, I, I loved listening to you talking to Hamdi, and I, I, I heard you use something that, that I've encountered through kind of reading behind the theory of re repeating back what you heard, right? You know, he, having someone ask something and say, okay, this is, is great. You know, what I'm hearing is, this right just to make sure you've got it right and, and we're all on the same page um yeah i was just curious what what types of tactics you find helpful for good communication well you nailed it yeah that's one it's so effective and that's something that we use uh <laughs> every other minute in our meetings with yeah. each customer um it's a great way to make sure that you know in this case you know as i was talking to hamdi it's to make sure that 
I have what he said correctly, but even if I understood it, I want Hamdi to know I heard him. I heard his question. And it gives him an opportunity to say, well, you didn't quite hear it right. And so in terms of the psychology, right, if you think about that, that's, that's incredibly important for us when we go into a customer's house, figuratively speaking, and you kind of imagine us like painters. You know, you go into somebody's house and you sit down and you say, hey, um, what do you do? And he says, oh, I'm a painter. And you say, oh, so, so that technique is incredibly powerful because you want to make sure everybody's on the same page. You come to find out, yeah, they don't have time to paint their own house because they're swamped. And you want to make sure that you do it to the best of your ability and show them how you're doing it. So the psychology in being a service company for bioinformatics, where there's an internal bioinformatics team, it's, it's quite challenging. Yeah, well, it, it definitely sounds like, you know, you're you and your team are very skilled at it. It's great. It's, it's challenging, right? So we do have a question over in the chat window, uh, getting back to communication. So this is about explaining how you did something, right? Is that one of the ways that you differentiate yourself from AI? For example, you can feed something into chat GPT visuals, but that won't tell you how the analysis was run. I think the short answer is yes. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the, sh the short answer is, is it's a yes. Uh, a good example is if, if the AI is using a neural net, assume we can understand what's going on behind the scenes with the AI. Let's say it's machine learning. Uh, if, you, if you don't understand how that neural net predictive model was created, that, that's a big challenge. Um, and, and as you said, the, the, the customer wants to know how, how it was done nine times out of 10. And usually we do, well, excuse me, we always want to know how it's done. That's critical, especially if this means finding a drug target or a biomarker uh, or, or just delineating the mechanism of action. Yeah. And as a follow up to that, do you expect that differentiator to be more challenging as the tools get better? Do you foresee that gap narrowing? I, I do. Yes and no. Um, if you know, as we move forward into the future and we get these tools, we do struggle to to use it, but use it reasonably. Um, we always want to set expectations. So that goes back to the, the project management part. We want to set expectations with the customer that this is what we're using and that we may not be able to explain something behind it in the case of a neural net. But if it's, you know, mixed linear models as a, you know, a typical example of a, a predictive model, then yeah, we can explain that. Awesome. And I, I'm curious, you, you don't have to, to answer if this is a, a, a secret, but is, is your group using things like ChatGPT? Do you see any uses uh, for your current work using that type of technology? Currently, we are not. Um, I mean, so, so it's pretty, pretty new. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty new. <laughs> uh, we're very cautious about yeah. using uh, generative AI. Um, but in I terms that, of yeah. traditional machine learning, which is under the umbrella of AI, yeah, yes, we use that. And we know how to generate a predictive model using uh, neural nets. Uh, so in that sense, we, we do yeah. work with AI. But generative AI, uh, we're, we're just kind of watching it for now. I hear that. Yeah, it's, it's tricky, right? Especially in a, a work setting. You know, I, th I think a lot about... Uh, the security aspects of it, right? And the privacy aspects of it. And, you know, it's, it's one thing for fun to use it, but it gets much more complex right? <laughs> as you start 
uh, thinking about these things in a work setting. Um, it's, and yeah, maybe that's a whole new topic for another time. But uh, a, a, another question from the, the chat window. Are there any new or emerging technologies in bioinformatics that you're excited about right now? Uh, new emerging technologies in bioinformatics. Um, yeah, I just can't think of any right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah. as, as an entrepreneur, I got a lot going on. I, I can't say I've been thinking about that. It, yeah. <laughs> um, see, Jeff, this is why you got to give us these kinds of questions up front. Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a ton of them. No, yeah. it's it's cool. It's cool. No, this this is a real a real conversation. Yeah, yeah. There there is so much. Yeah. Um I I get the same way, right? It's it's like what's yeah. what's a cool yeah. thing? No, like, oh man, there's a lot of cool things. Um <laughs> uh is is your group I was gonna say if you'd gone yeah. if you caught yeah. up with me last night at Isaac's uh, uh beer and biotech meetup, we could have uh talked about it. I, I oh yeah. yeah I, I'm not <laughs> No, we're we're putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah no, there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. It's a good question. Um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll yeah. probably think of it afterwards. Are you seeing a lot of Are you seeing a lot of multi omics data sets these days, or a lot more compared to what you used to see? It's funny you bring that up because that was the first thing I thought of. But but you and I both know we would see those in the webinars at uh, yeah at, at the meetups that we did three years ago, four years ago. So it's really not that new, yeah, right? Yeah. Integrating multiple yeah, yeah. mix uh, data sets is is not new, but but it is exciting. I'm I th we want to see that. I think to answer the question, yes, uh, what's exciting is standardizing new technologies like integration of DNA, oh, yeah. RNA, and protein together. If we can standardize that in a uh, you know a product, a software as a service product, that would be exciting. Because, and, and Jeff knows this, and I'm sure people on the panel know it, from that perspective in the world of computational biology and bioinformatics, we embolden the bioinformaticians and, and also the biologists to use those tools more, more in a streamlined way that is consistent, reproducible. Um, I, I did a talk recently on exactly that, the reproducibility crisis. Uh, and, and we see that not just with the digital sample, but also the physical sample. And so those tools are very exciting because it solves that problem. Yeah, well, that that's awesome. And you're kind of getting to the next question we're getting in the, the chat window. Um, so how do you think about adopting new technologies versus taking in the tried and true approaches when dealing with your clients? I take it slowly. Um, we, we always want to go with what the, the client wants, but we also want to understand why the client wants to go there. Uh, so for us, the first yeah. meeting that we have is a quick intro call, and it really is to understand the bigger picture and, and prioritize what they want. The second is to uh, take a deeper dive into the technical discussion, really a brainstorming session into what is prioritized and what they think is key. And so we, as the experts in bioinformatics, can give our advice there and guide them. And it may be, yeah, it's a great idea. We, we, we consider this uh, to be something very important based on what you're looking at. Or we might say, you know, this is good. It's, it's great. But there might be an alternate pathway to get there. Love that. And we are getting to the bottom of the hour. Uh, and, you know, 
it's it's been great talking to you, Dan. You're you're a scientist. You're you're an entrepreneur. Lots of really really cool uh, experiences and insights. Any final advice for our listeners, especially folks who might also be thinking about taking the jump into starting their own company? Sure. Um, if you're thinking about starting your own company, um, I would have a conversation with your significant other and your immediate family. And, and you know, just ask yourself what it looks like when things go right and what it looks like when things go wrong and prepare for both. Yeah. That that's great. I love that. And uh, honestly, in, in my opinion, that's an aspect that's not talked about enough, right? <laughs> you know, is is preparing, uh, preparing your 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 life, right? You yeah. know, this is is your life, and thinking about yeah, if this goes great, uh, great. But you know, if if it doesn't go great, um, you know, uh, what what does that look like, right? And so. Yeah, that that's fantastic, and and I, I remember going through that, um, even even just you know going off to school and stuff, thinking about, uh, you know, so those different life aspects. Like, what if I bomb this test? Do it? Will I will I get my degree? Yeah, yeah, or, or even you know, I I remember, and I I talk to to folks who uh, you know students who are thinking about maybe grad school or postdocing sorts of things, right? You know, it's it's important to think about the lab that you're going in, and that's always the big one, but at the same time. Where, where are you going to live? Right. You know, the, the advice I got, and I yeah. think it was good. And I, I share it with folks is, uh, you know, the, the lab work isn't always going to be great. Um, and it's not always going to be going great. And so it's good to be, for example, in a city that you, <laughs> that you like, you know, you're able to go out and have some fun and, and be with people, uh, you know, and, and have a, a good life uh, as well. So it's it's important to have that that work life balance for sure. Wonderful. It is. Yes. Thanks so much, Dan, for chatting with us, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. I appreciate it.